episode 76 we are joined by phil brooks also known as the world famous mixed martial artist comic book creator former pro wrestler and now actor cm punk along with him is producer writer and director travis stevens they're here to talk about their new incredible horror flick girl on the third floor if you're listening to this at time of release available in theaters and digital friday october 25th you'll hear about the that went into this carefully handcrafted Chicago-based paranormal adventure shot in an actual haunted house with loads of practical effects and inventive scares to quench the thirst of all of us horror fans. Learn about the films that made them and even what they like to do on Halloween. Anyone looking for a general contractor? This is Phil Brooks. And this is Travis Stevens. You are renovating your haunted house while we are hammering out another episode of The Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. You want to help me? Nope. Don is the proud owner of fortunate former house of ill repute. You know when a woman doesn't like to be futzed with too much? I don't want to see you here ever again. Houses aren't that different, I guess. You want my advice? Get your husband and your baby far away from that house. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a film producer and writer with dozens of credits to his name, each one entirely unique unto itself, but with a commonality that they all celebrate thrilling vision and a palpable, undeniable energy. Films like 2013's award-winning Cheap Thrills, Mike Mendez's Big Ass Spider, XX, a project directed by Karn Kusama, Roxanne Benjamin, St. Vincent, and Jovana Vukovic, the fascinating documentary, Yardavorsky's Dune, the list goes on. He created Snowfort Pictures to develop the financing production of genre films, empowering unique filmmakers to give them a platform to enrich the cinematic landscape with exciting storytelling. This time around, the story is his own. Based on a script he wrote, his feature-length directorial debut is the amazing Girl on the Third Floor. Accompanying him is the star of that film, a legend in the world of wrestling and mixed martial arts, the longest reigning WWE champion since the early days of Hulk Hogan. He is a comic book writer who made his debut with Thor Annual Number 1 in 2015, went on to write Marvel's Drax series in an 11-issue run in Marvel's Master of Kung Fu for their legacy imprint. Girl on the Third Floor marks his feature-length acting debut. In theaters and iTunes, October 25th, it's Phil Brooks, otherwise known as CM Punk, and writer-director Travis Stevens. I'm clapping solely for Travis. (laughs) (laughs) I do do appreciate appreciate a stellar introduction for the both of us. It's fantastic. Well, well, thank you guys, man. And this movie, oh, God, it's so killer. No, we're so pleased to have you here. And this is on the eve of the L.A. premiere. Yes. Now, I know it's already screened at South by Southwest, so you've had a little bit of taste of that energy at this point. How's it feeling this time around as we loom closer to the big full release and the chance to get all these eyeballs on this thing? 
I'm nervous as shit because <laughs> my wife hasn't seen it yet. What? And she's going to see it with me sitting next to me. So <laughs> That's fucking cool, though. Yeah. Awesome. No, don't get me wrong. Like, it is cool, but there's some scenes that I go through in my head when I'm, like, laying in bed next to her going, she hasn't seen these. Yeah. I don't right. know. Yeah, I can see that. I don't I know, know how she's going to react. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though she was there, you know, she was with me when I was filming. We, we stayed at a, a local hotel and... And, you know, I had her and my dog with me. I try to bring them everywhere I go if it, they can make it because they're both very busy. She would read the sides the night before and she would know what was going on that day and stuff like that. I brought her to set one time. So nothing, you know, she's not going to be surprised by anything, but still, I'm still going to be squirming in my seat. <laughs> no, I get that. Was that your dog in no, the movie? No, that was not my dog. That Although, was a really cute dog. <laughs> yeah, I love his name was Riker. Oh, Riker. Yes, yes Riker. And unfortunately, I, I don't want to be the bear of bad news, but unfortunately, Riker no, has no. crossed the Rainbow Bridge. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, and, and I will say Riker is 100% the star of this movie. Riker yeah. rocked it. Let's talk about both of your loves of the horror genre and let's go back to your discovery of it. My very first memory being alive was staring out the vent of my parents' van at a drive-in movie theater watching what i believe was the island of dr moreau yeah it's always been there growing up in vermont in the woods uh just sort of friday the 13th just was like that's it that's my life So yeah, so I think those are, those are the the big ones. Also, um, Night School. I don't know if you guys remember. No, that I never saw Night School. A really, really good slasher movie with a cool killer. When I was, I think eight, six or eight, we were moving into a new house, and my parents left me with a babysitter who was watching that movie for some reason and yeah it just screwed me up it's always the babysitter (laughs) we hear it over and over again it's always a babysitter for me i think i don't know if it was the first thing so i I was introduced to horror i'd get dumped at my grandpa's house a lot south side of chicago and i had an aunt who is closer to my age than she was my mom's so like when my mom was 40 41 42 my aunt was maybe 19 or 20 and i was like 10, maybe 8, 10, something like that. I thought she was the coolest person in the world. So I was influenced heavily by her musically and just everything. So when I was a kid, I was fortunate enough. I listened to The Clash, The Ramones, Duran Duran, you know, like whatever was cool in the 80s. And it seems like obviously the music has changed so much now that it it doesn't seem as eclectic anymore. But she let me listen to whatever I want. I mean, I remember driving in the car with her and listening to like the first uh, Body Count album. She literally... She was your babysitter. She let me do whatever I wanted. And in my grandpa's house, there was an old book. It had an orange cover and it was like universal movie monsters. And I just, it's something about the book. I mean, it scared me, but I would always pick it up and peel through the pages. And there's one particular page. It was Lon Chaney, London After Midnight, you know, top hat, fangs. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And you're standing in front of a door. I just remember this picture. You're standing in front of the door and I it looked exactly like the door to the closet in my grandpa's room. So I thought Lon Chaney lived in the closet. Some of the first <laughs> horror movies I remember seeing, probably American Werewolf in London kind of resonates. Nice. That was like one of the first ones I remember being allowed to watch. Probably an uncle let me watch it. And I was just like, well, this is, this is wild. But just, I mean, just like you, I think Friday the 13th, I would go to the movies that don't exist anymore. It was called MTM Video. And I would just rent whatever based on the box cover. Yo, that looks cool. Oh, that looks crazy. That looks awesome. 
And then I also used to have nightmares about the scene in A Toxic Avenger. Oh, great where, one. Like, but I like this. So all the things wouldn't bother me. And this one really did when the kid gets hit by the car on the bike. And they get out and they take pictures of like oh, his yeah. head splatter like that. I was like, that freaked me out when I was a little kid. It did me in and it, you know, I, I guess it, it helped mold me into this. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of those other ones that you've discovered along the way that became your, your go-tos, your classics? I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, Frank. Frank was, so my, my aunt had a, a friend named Danielle. Who, of course, I had a crush on, you know, and she was probably like, you know, eight, nine years older than me, but it didn't matter to me. I thought she was, you know, beautiful. And she had a brother named Frank that would scare the living shit out of <laughs> Danielle and my Aunt Chrissy with a Michael Myers mask. Oh, oh man. Yeah. So obviously, Halloween. To me, it's the best horror movie ever made. There used to be an old uh, shop in Chicagoland called Riley's Trick Shop. And I, I think the Michael Myers mask was the first thing I ever saved up my money for and bought with like my own money. Still got it to this day, too. So Halloween, Friday the 13th, obviously all like the typical slashers. But as I grew up and evolved, like obviously some of my taste, but I will devour and digest anything that has anything to do with horror. By the way, is that the uh, Bill Shatner mask? Like the replica of the original movie or a more uh, contemporary take on it? I think by the time I bought my own Michael Myers mask, it might be a part four mask. Oh, okay. But I don't know. I'd have to double check. I know I still got it, but the thing, it's just smushed beyond belief. And, yeah. <laughs> Surprised. Yeah. Yeah, it's shocking, so right? Yeah. yeah. But I still got it. It's one of the few things that survived my childhood. Have you been by some of the, the sets and, and things in Pasadena and the houses that still stand anyway, the outdoor sets, I guess? Yeah, I've been, I've, I've been around there, but I haven't, I haven't, uh, you know, see a lot of people like take the pictures, you know, like poking behind like the, right, the, the hedge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I have, uh, I have not done that. Yeah. I have not brought myself to be able to do that yet. Well, they have that one family member, uh, that one house by the park bench. Yeah. It's, it's across the street. It's the Laurie Strode's house. The family that owns a house uh, has pumpkins there all year round. Yeah. So you can actually Because pose. they know people come all the time. Yeah. So they just, they're, they're very accommodating. Yeah, they are. Yeah, <laughs> super cool. Yeah. Travis, how about yourself? Some favorites to your classics. I think like Phil, like I, I consume a lot of horror on a daily basis, but the ones I probably come back to again and again would be Texas Chainsaw, Hellraiser, The Shining, Cronenberg's The Fly, and as much as uh, I have an issue with the filmmaker now, Rosemary's Baby, I think is a good point. film that yeah. I really, uh, yeah. you know, you just, every time I watch it, no matter how old I am, there's a new layer to those films that I enjoy. As a filmmaker, what do you think the elements are that it takes to terrify an audience in 2019 and to not only make a mark, but to leave the cinema with something like this movie that you just are about to release does? Uh, you, you take I was that just going to say, I wish I knew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Right, you know, one of those movies that you, you think about over and over again after you leave, it's just not left at the theater. Movies like Hereditary, like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Is there something as a filmmaker that you think is the secret ingredient to staying visceral? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of, of sort of what the core of the story is, what the idea 
of the story is and is that how robust is that idea and then the execution i think a lot of horror movies can be thrilling in their execution they might not become classics because maybe the story itself is a little slight so at least for me those movies that are about something you know like a marriage that's falling apart or hereditary sort of exploration of grief and like regret at being burdened by a family like that's the type of stuff that regardless of like oh the scene's really scary there's something more there that you get away from it it's a, uh, a little more nuanced to meal there is an amazing and very small cast giving this movie a real intimacy that enhances the uneasiness that we feel from it. And perhaps one of the most notable members of this cast, besides you, of course, Phil, is this beautiful Victorian home that is the centerpiece to this story. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about that house in itself. Yeah, so the house is located outside of Chicago in a suburb, Frankfurt, Illinois. And that happens to be the home base for the production company that made the film, Queensberry Pictures, and my fellow producer, Greg Newman. So they knew of the house, and its local legend is that it's haunted, and it was formerly a bordello, and it sits across the street from a church. So all of this is, is reality. And so Greg was like, wouldn't it be great to do a haunted house movie in an actual haunted house? which in theory sounds good, but when you're actually shooting in a haunted house, <laughs> it comes a little tricky at points. But so yeah, so because it was actually a haunted house, my thought was let's shoot it exactly as is. So for the most part, the wallpaper and the paint and the molding, all that stuff is as we found it. And then we brought in details on top of it. But yeah, I think both visually and sort of vibe wise that, house has a personality that was a lot of fun to sort of capture did anything haunted happen while you guys were filming in the house that made you go yeah this house is fucking haunted <laughs> i personally don't have any specific stories i can only relay what a lot of the other cast members and certain other people on the production side of things told me but i will say that there was a vibe you know what I mean? Like there, the house felt like it was very much, it had a personality. I remember Travis telling me like when he walked in it for the first time and began shooting, he just kind of like spoke to it and was like, okay, you know, we're here and we're going to do our best not to totally piss you off. And like, you know, just, just bear with us and giving respect to the house, which probably was our saving grace. But yeah, it, it definitely, um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like there were times I would like run downstairs when like uh, in the basement when like the snacks and the craft table is down there and stuff like that. And I'd be alone. And I'd just kind of be like, you know, that feeling yeah. when yeah. you're not alone. Felt, yeah. You know what I mean? There. And that's very much a real thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was just kind of like, mm, all right, I'm getting out of here. And you run back upstairs where there's people. Yeah, and I mean, there were, there were small things of we're looking at a door wondering, can this play in another scene? And then the door just pops open. Oh, we were no. leaning against a wall and heard a knock. Small things like that. But, but wow. like Phil said, the, the night I got there in pre-production, I walked into that house with bravado and immediately was sort of pushed back, like in my heart, which is the sense of like, no. And uh, so that was something that I was like, oh, you, you do have to take this seriously because now you're encountering it outside of any intellectual uh, level. Like you're feeling this in your heart. 
saying this is a terrible, terrible idea. So, uh, wow. So yeah. So like Phil said, I, I laid out my case. He blessed, he blessed the house. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Speaking of, was there any thought into bringing somebody in to cleanse the house or bless the house for the set? No. Are you kidding? That's yeah. production value. <laughs> <laughs> Having a terrified crew and cat. <laughs> it's true, I, right? I think, I think I personally have more of a problem with anybody who thought they were qualified enough to bless anything. <laughs> you know, I, I would rather deal with the spirits. <laughs> now, Travis, I'm sure you've been asked a lot of this most recently, but why was this the story that you decided to kind of to leap from production role to directing and, and writing this script yourself? It just came easy. The story came easy and I was like, I, I could do this. I know this. Like I, I just had uh, a clarity on what I wanted to say with the movie and was like, yeah, I think I'm the best person to do it and was very fortunate to get the opportunity to do it and work with Phil and sort of bring it to life. And yeah, so I mean, for me, it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't this like, it was as simple as choosing an item off a menu. Where did the idea for Phil's character, um, Don, come from? Because, I mean, you meet Don early on and you're like, hey, this guy's a solid like family guy, hardworking, you know, blue collar, I'm going to fix this place up. And then Really soon into the movie, very quickly, you find out some secrets about Don, and you're like, okay, this character is very multidimensional. There's a lot of aspects to this guy. And kudos to you, man, for pulling that off, because that's awesome, man. You nailed it. Thank you. If I pulled it off, I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me, the house is actually across the street from a church, and it was reportedly a bordello. So that idea of a church and a house of ill repute across the street from each other was sort of like... That's our basic playing field. And the idea of trying to do a haunted house movie that is a little fresher than just a family moving in and the place corrupts them sort of led to that. Well, how do you do something different? And that idea of like, well, what if the male figure just moves in and we come to learn that maybe he's rotten on the inside So rather than the house changing him? The movie just sort of, or the house just shows us his true nature. And I think um, just as an artist and as a human and a, and a man, I sort of looked to my own experiences and relationships and thought of when I'd been maybe less than awesome and was like, well, that might be interesting to explore. And then it just came down to finding somebody that you would like immediately when you saw him. And to help sort of camouflage some of those lesser traits that show up later. Bill, let's discuss your involvement. You probably get offered a lot of scripts all the time being approached by lots of people. How were you brought into the mix and why did you choose this to be your first acting project? I guess I, d- I, don't, I don't get offered quality things. You know, this is not to be a negative of anything or anybody, but it does happen a lot where it's just like, I say no to a lot of things just because I know how it is. And a lot of people are just like, oh, hey, I'm doing a movie. You want to be in my movie? And it's just like, okay, well, and uh, and then you hear the, oh, and we're still, we're still raising money. And you know, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's kind of one of, always one of those things. So I, I'm easy to get a hold of. If you know people that I know, I'm hard to get a hold of if you, you don't know me, if that makes sense. And that's, that's the way I like it. And it's kind of like my own natural filter for this. I believe I was contacted first by my friend in Chicago, Natalie, who has a friend, Nicole, who works in the MPI offices. So if I'm getting the story correct. And at the same time, I got an email from Mark Marin, who was just like, hey, Bobcat wants to talk to you about a movie thing. 
can I give him your number? Huh. And I was just like, yeah, sure. So both these things are happening simultaneously. Little did I know that it's about the same thing. So they're making MPIs, making this very Chicago-centric movie, and I don't know who else was being talked about, being used for the lead. Bobcat Goldthwait, who directed me in a couple episodes of Marin, suggested me to Greg Newman, and Greg was like, geez, I mean... Do you think he would do it? How do we get a hold of Phil? And that's when Nicole like pops her head up and she's like, I know Phil. <laughs> you know? And so literally, it's, I mean, to me, that's the universe being like, so I got an email from my friend Natalie who was like, oh, Nicole says so-and-so wants you to do a movie. And in my head, I'm just thinking, oh, it's another one of those things. And I was just like, yeah you know, okay, tell him, tell him to send me the script and I'll read it. And I saw Travis's name. So I Googled Travis's name. And the first thing I see is Uterowski's Dune. And I was like, no way. <laughs> like what? <laughs> and then I start looking at all the things that Travis's has been, uh, name has been attached to. And I've seen, you know, like four of the things. And I was like, oh, oh okay what's up? This is okay. So this is legit. You know, Steve Albini, I was told was attached doing the score. Mm -hmm. And I was immediately like, how did they get Steve Albini? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. I've, I've lived in Chicago my entire life. I know bands who Steve's produced. And I was like, Steve doesn't do music anymore. Really? Like dudes, dude just plays poker. Like I know that. So like, wow, what's going on here? You know? So I was almost in, actually I was it. I was in before I read the script. I was just like, Uterowski's Dune is what sold me because Uterowski's Dune I went to see when it was playing at the Music Box in Chicago. And that movie just spoke to me because it was at a time in my, I, I had, like, I had just left WWE and my leaving created this vacuum and Daniel Bryan was thrust to fill the void. So Daniel Bryan became, you know, he got to win the main event of WrestleMania. And I remember sitting in the theater, looking up at the screen and I was with that same friend, Natalie, and the movie was over and she turned and she looked at me and she went, dude, you're Uterowski's dude. <laughs> <laughs> right. All those parallels. You know what I mean? Right. No, yeah. no, but, but it's yeah. true. It's just like Uterowski does like all the heavy lifting on this stuff and he Geiger and uh, Mobius and like, you know, all these people who yeah. go on to do all these amazing things that have laid the foundation for all these other people to go on to do all these amazing things. And then David Lynch, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, who's great in his own right, but it, it just wasn't. It, it wasn't what it could have been. It wasn't what it should have been. And I, I was stunned. So when I saw, you know, Travis's name on, on that, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is it. And I, oh, oh, another thing. Oh, they're filming it in Chicago and I don't have to travel. There you go. Yes. Right. <laughs> Sign me up. Somebody's, you mean, oh, and I get paid too. I mean, you know, like right. what a, what a dumb life I've had like, that this stuff like this just kind of just falls into my lap and I, I looked at it like yeah I, I have to obviously I have to do this and then I you know I got serious and then I read the script and what a bonus it's really fucking good you know so yeah, yeah it was across the board I can't talk enough about how like fortunate I am to be have been a part of this like it's seriously like time of my life did Travis give you any specific motivation for your character or case study something to watch or, or research no but I don't I don't think I asked either i almost i don't know for better or for worse approached it like i read it i had an idea of what and who don was and i had my interpretation and idea of what travis was doing i believe we probably had a conversation about it 
but I also didn't want to know too much because I literally wanted to go and, and just act. And then I felt very much a freedom to do a scene and then look at Travis and go, eh? you know, up, down, left, right, right. You know, and I was very comfortable with him directing me. I, I think I told everybody before we started shooting, I was like, hey, guys, if I suck and if I shit the bed, just let me know and you guys can get somebody else. But I think I don't know how wise or unwise any of that is, but I didn't really have expectations as to how I was going to do things or how it was going to be received. I just kind of wanted to just do it and get the direction and go from there. I really think that you deliver a performance that becomes graciously unhinged over the length of the movie. And I think it's a performance that people are not expecting. And I want to know, Travis, from you, when you see him and again, like Phil is on screen a good like 90% of the movie, right? It's like a solo, you know, act for the most part. Were you surprised at how fucking good he was? I can leave. I can leave the room. (laughs) Answer answer freely. And maybe this isn't the most experienced director answer, but no, that's why we send him the script like based on just sort of what I know of you as a performer and your work ethic. I don't know. I just, for me, it was like, I was like, yes, I just knew it. And that, and I think that's our conversations on set were like, we were already in a band together. So the notes were very, very small. So there were certainly times where I was like very happy with how awesome it was, but there was never a time where I was like, wow, this, this really good looking, uh, buff guy can act. No, no, of course he wouldn't be there if he couldn't do that. Um, because I, I think a lot of my experience working with actors comes down to their understanding of the material and the tone. And from our early conversations, he clearly got what this story is saying and who this character is. And so I think from day one, we were sort of in rhythm and we sort of set up the production to give us time in the house alone to sort of get to know each other and get to know the space and, and stuff. So, by the time it came to his confrontation with um, the character Sarah, which was just wonderful to watch. Like, so <laughs> as I was sitting there, a monitor, which is basically this character really fully putting on all of his charm because it's a very sort of closed off character. It keeps everybody at arm's right. distance because he doesn't want them to sort of get to know him. But on this, he like lays it all out there. And I was just that monitor, just like, yeah, <laughs> motherfucker, you showed up. <laughs> Real deal. And like, one take top to bottom and we did it far more times than we needed to because it was just so much fun to just watch compared to some of the other stuff which was sort of more internalized performance to watch right. something like that was a lot of fun so yeah i was thinking you know in terms of the camera work design and all that how much of that was, was your your doings versus your dp like did you come up with how certain angles needed to be shot or uh, you know throughout the house or yeah i think um on this one, sort of coming at it from a producer's point of view, I spent a month there shot listing the entire film by myself, just sort of going through each scene in the room with the script and sort of deciding how we're going to cover it and then how's that, that going to escalate over the course of the movie. And then once the DP came in, it was sort of uh, tweaking that. So on this particular one, because so much of the movie is about um, deception and about things not being what they seem, right. we, we sort of took this approach of, you're looking at something and then we're seeing who's looking at it and then it changes when we see it again. So there's a very sort of uh, formal center framed back and forth on that to pull that trick off. But the entire sort of like Chicago, because it was a Chicago DP named Scott Thiel, the entire like crew 
from there work on all of these TV shows and are like so good. And to be able to have people of that caliber on a small movie is something you don't usually get. And so like, it's a really ambitious movie for the budget and they just like crushed it every single day. And, and you might not think about this, but it's a three level house. And over the course of the day, you might be shooting on each level. And that means moving all of the camera gear and the dolly, like all of this stuff up and down, up and down. And every five minutes delay means you're losing time to shoot. So the fact that they were able to pull that off with the resources they had is, is a miracle. And I'm super appreciative of everybody's <laughs> hard work because it was, you, I mean, it was hard work. You'd watch them work. Was that the biggest challenge while filming or was there something that was a bigger obstacle? Pragmatically, you're always running up against time yeah. and money and ambition. For the end result, the biggest obstacle is just making sure everybody's on the same page about what you're trying to do versus the actual minutiae of how it's getting done. I think that was the, the big thing it was for me is just sort of not losing sight of how it's all going to gel together at the end. Were there any limitations while shooting? Like, were there, were there any uh, particular scenes in the movie that you had to like reimagine because of the confined space versus a uh, set in the Hollywood studio? Yeah, I mean, all of it is pretty limited. I mean, it would, like I compare it to The Conjuring or studio sort of haunted house movie, there's a lot of luxury with how that camera can move through that space because they can literally build it. So right. we have a very defined space, so that sort of limits what you can do. But the biggest sort of, I think, confines on what we were shooting was the fact that the house is in the middle of this town and we couldn't control what was happening outside the house. So there was a giant town-wide festival that happened oh, in no. the middle of it of where not just is it really noisy, but like all of the neighbors allow people to park on their lawns for oh, 10 bucks. So suddenly shit. there was like whatever, what? 60,000 or 100,000 people in this town or something, <laughs> some whatever crazy number. And we're like... Okay, we're going to go again because we heard 10,000 people on that last take. <laughs> oh, man. Not only that, you would get people walking on a beautiful summer night. People would be walking and they would just shout from the sidewalk, Hey, have you guys seen, did you see Sadie? <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, and Sadie, so Sadie's the name of one of the, the girls who was, you know, killed in the house. And that's part of the, the real story of the house. And so we'd literally be shooting and we just get busted because, you know, they, they, they don't know. They're just like, oh, what are you guys doing there? Did you see, did you see the ghosts? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Just like walking like, up onto the porch. Like, oh, my aunt used to yeah. live here. And we're yeah. like, great. Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me about it later. <laughs> During lunch, maybe. Was there a lot of ADR? Did we do those scenes or uh, audio? or we? I, you know what? I don't think I did a whole lot of ADR for this. I think everything was, you know. Everything got caught pretty clean. We just sometimes had to do a lot of takes because, you know, we'd get busted by people, you know, honking their horns and stuff, driving right by. It's right on the corner. You can't miss it. You know? Which was so amazing to me because during the, the month of pre-production, when there was nobody around, like, it was a ghost town. The quietest, you'd swear, like, maybe a hundred people lived there. But by the end of the shoot, it was like this bustling metropolis where it's like, oh, yeah, of course there's a factory down the road where trucks drive by every hour. And you're like, oh, oh, why did this just suddenly happen? So, That's the you... funny thing. It's like the movie feels like it is in a ghost town. It's so quiet. Yeah. I saw that. So we had done a movie called We Are Still Here. Yes. Brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And there was a point. In the, in the process of cutting that, where right. we were like, oh, why isn't it working? And watching Herzog's Nosferatu and realizing it's all the fucking Foley. Like those movies back in the 70s, they would strip all of the sound out of the space. So all you would hear is the door creak. Right. 
and I was like, oh, and so using that lesson on this movie, it's like, no, because now with multi-track recordings, the sound designers, their initial instinct is to fill the space with, we got a dog down the street who's barking and there's birds out the window and there's, and all these layers sort of build it up and, and ruin that sense of so stripping it all out and pretending it's a space station sure. so that you can hear every breath and every precise sound is, is like one of the tricks I think you can use to sort of heighten that. Do you guys know the full story of Sadie? Like, what is the legend of what happened in that house? Do you guys know? You do, don't you? I'll butcher it. I know fragments and I would be filling in holes with uh, non-facts. <laughs> so for me, it's tricky. I didn't want to rely too much on facts because right. my concern was how reliable are they? And then our story is going to do its own thing with some of these. So what I know is there were two people who were murdered there. One, the body was found at the railroad tracks, wrapped in tarps. And then another woman died in the, in the house itself. So those are the two things that the local sort of legends and, and so you just, boards had. you just lifted their names. You kept that true. Yeah. Right? Sarah and Sadie. One, yeah. To be honest, I forget if Sarah was... I was, think... Yeah? Yeah, okay. I think so. But so it was this idea of like, almost like an impression of them and be like, okay, here is what the local story is about you. And then let's write a movie that sort of honors the experience that you went through without being totally about the facts of it, if that makes sense. The fact that it was a bordello and the facts, I mean, not that there's tons of court cases or anything about their murders, it's very little information, but that idea of like, what are the dynamics involved in a, a woman who works in, in the sex business being murdered at a bordello and what sort of story can you tell and i also want to talk about the ceiling so yes i love house stuff i can talk about it forever was that real that was there in the house yes that's amazing i want one so cool a set of bleachers yes i'm gonna have a show up there that's amazing what happens in the movie is the best explanation i can come up with for yeah. why that's there but yeah it's very strange and when you're there you it's not a very usable space on that third floor. No. no. So what? Who knows? So did you guys bring the ceiling down for that purpose or was it? We put up a fake. Yeah. Oh, and then and then brought it. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is really cool. I want to know, Phil, as a fan of the genre, you get to do it all in this movie. You get to have your cake and eat it too. You get yeah. to, you have sex. Yep. You're covered in gore. Yep. Sprayed with shit in your face. Yep. You're in a haunted house. <laughs> right? Like, check, check, check. Yeah, how did I'm it, done. How, I'm did, done. Right? how did it feel to be on the other side of the lens that the movies you grew up on and that you love? I got to live one of my favorite quotes. Every day is Halloween. Right? You know, I got to show up to work every day and just be like, okay, what are we doing? Tell me what to do. All right, let's do it. You want me to do it again? Yes or no? All right, moving along. I was a kid in a candy store. Like I said, it's it's really not fair that I got to do it. And on top of that, I got to get paid. And on top of that, every night I'm in my own bed sure. with my wife. Like it, the whole thing just seems still too good to be true. And it's so like, I'm almost just waiting for the anvil to drop, you know, but and it's just like people see it and the reviews are still all positive. Yes. And it's just like, yeah. I'm just, I'm still kind of in awe really. It, it, it all happened. But more than that, super grateful that it all happened. 
there were sometimes I'd be like, okay, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm Bruce Campbell, right? Like there's, <laughs> I, I, I'd be covered in shit and I'd be like, well, you guys got to take a picture of me so I can send it to April. Yeah. And you know, and I would look at myself and I'd be like, oh, I look like, I look like Bruce Campbell. In this picture. <laughs> you know I mean? Depending on what my hair was or what I was wearing that day, I'd be there, you know, depending on what side you took the picture on, I'd be like, oh, there's a little Jack Torrance here. Like what's going on? So yeah. I, and that's shot probably just because I'm such a goof for horror movies that I would see all these little things. Like if I ever watched anything back and I noticed anything like that, it would just make me giddy because I wasn't ever really trying to emulate anybody or anything like that. All that stuff is just me doing it. And it, it was time of my life. Ready to do the next one. <laughs> That's yeah. so fun. But, and, and it's amazing because it, not every actor has that enthusiasm for that aspect of a horror movie, right? right. Which is that real joy that comes from the nitty gritty, yep. which is the gore and the effects and the, the amount of time it takes to set it up and how uncomfortable that can be. Whether if you're wearing some sort of rigging or there's a fake appendage or like the under the sink stuff, it was so great. Get him <laughs> what was it? What did you spray him with? Please tell me the chocolate. I'll leave the room. You want me to leave the room and you can answer freely? Uh, I was a healthy vegan based, uh, (laughs) good exfoliant. Um, no, but, but it makes it a lot easier to work with a partner who is like excited about that stuff because then every day it becomes a fun thing instead of now I have to talk this person off a ledge. Who's like, I'm trying to act here and I'm covered in this black right. bile. Right. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're acting while well covered in black bile. Isn't it great? And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, here we are. We're doing it. Yeah. When he was cleaning it, I was like, what is that? That's so gross. Like, I'm so glad I don't have to clean it. It's like, so nasty. It was fun watching you get yeah. sprayed with it, though. That was a very, like, Bruce Campbell-esque moment, the way yes. you took that yeah. in the face like that. It was, as a fan, though, it made me go, oh my god, this is great. This is great. Yeah, you got lots of stuff on you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Covered in stuff. I was picking it out of my ears for weeks. Yeah. But that's a, like a horror movie. Like That's the way it yeah. should be. Yeah, when it's yeah. good. That's what, yeah, you hope for that. Yeah. Total immersion you need to just you know plug your nose close your eyes and jump in that's so awesome did either one of you keep anything from the production whether it was costuming or props oh my god i can't believe i'm going to give you guys (gasps) outlet covers and socket covers awesome oh my gosh i can't believe because i listened to the uh, prop house episode (laughs) but yes i'll bring them to you so you can have them but (gasps) because they manufactured 30 sets so that we could use them in each room in the house uh, that's so cool for this gorgeous house (laughs) oh that is very that's very kind that's so awesome that's so awesome and then did you keep anything or i no i mean just all my memories i i I don't think there wasn't i don't think a lot prop wise that a couple marbles i didn't want to steal anything (laughs) (laughs) you know he's such a good boy (laughs) i try i try to be i try to be well going into a little bit about the visual effects process there is some great practical effects in this and is it elisa dowling that plays sadie Sadie, right and she looks incredible in that so who who was the guy who did all that that makeup stuff uh dan martin okay did the uh special effects makeup so he is based in the uk works a lot with ben wheatley just did richard stanley's new movie oh Oh, also fantastic yes yes Yes. Yes. Uh, and so 
he had done a movie called Lords of Chaos. Yes. Greg Newman had seen, and there was a sequence in that where he was like, wow, this is astounding practical effects. Yeah. So Greg reached out to him. Dan's like, sure. We talked, we hit it off. And yeah, I mean, just you're trying to design and write gags that you can pull off for very little money that right. isn't going to eat up two or three days to shoot. And so working with somebody as experienced as Dan, he's sort of like, well, here's how we can do it. And here's the adjustments you have to make to pull it off. So to get sequences um, like um, Phil's marble scene <sighs> on a movie this size is like, you know, you would never be able to do that. Uh, that so yeah, good. Not like that. So. And then, of course, I mean, the money shot of the movie. I don't want to give it away, but <laughs> right. holy shit. Like, that's that's the scene of the decade right there. I don't know how you guys pulled that off. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yes. I do. And there's a story behind that night. Really? <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to talk around this as best I can. Okay. So I don't spoil it for anybody. <laughs> Y'all know this the the scene when you see it. We literally had one shot at it. They were trying to film some of Trieste's scenes while I was getting all my makeup. Dan Martin hated me because I'm covered in <laughs> tattoos and he had to individually draw all of my tattoos. So when we put all this prost. I had a giant prosthetic on my stomach. I had both my arms covered. He had to reapply. He had to apply all the tattoos on top of all the makeup work. Wow. Oh my gosh. Right. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I want to say that took, I mean, my full makeup prosthetic, everything. Honestly, I want to say that was at least 10 hours. <gasps> wow. Just from, you know, start to finish. So everything, everybody in the house was trying to time everything. So I'm at the church and when we're ready to go, as soon as I'm done, I'm running across the street and we're getting this thing in the bag. And it was one of those, the night just kept dragging on and they started maybe filming something else. I don't know. So then all of a sudden I was ready to go, but I had to get put on ice. Like, okay, let's now we're waiting. I remember my friend and teammate Tyron Woodley was fighting Darren Till. So I was just like, I'm cool. I'm just covered, <laughs> yeah, in, I'm covered in makeup and I'm just like sitting, sitting in a church watching, watching UFC. And I'm just like, this is great. Yeah, Getting paid. This is awesome. <laughs> and then when, like when it was time to go and we had to do the one shot, I just remember we had already done a couple takes of a couple scenes where I'm, I'm screaming bloody murder. My voice is shot. It was, I want to say the only tense moment on set. Cause I remember you and Greg start kind of pecking at each other. Dan Martin's there. He's just like, you know, he's, he's ready to do the gag. Trieste is like, she's screaming. I'm screaming. We're both tired, exhausted. The sun's coming up. So we're going to lose. We're running out of time. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah we we're oh literally running out of time. And you know, I mean, everybody was involved. Sarah Brooks is involved. I'm involved. We're all covered in blood and all kinds of stuff. We're cold. I'm like half naked, just covered in prosthetic. Like it was, it was just an intense, but it was a crescendo looking back at it. Now it was just like, it, it was exactly what it needed to be. And in an odd way, the tension helped me deliver. I know it helped Trieste. We talked about it. I had one makeup effect that 
was like it was like a one and done and there was it it was just like i remember we got to do it and i remember brett yelling like everybody's kind of like yelling like it's like i don't mean to be yelling at you but like, you know, you know, it was just it was a very intense moment and it was eventually just like this is it we're gonna do this and whatever whatever this is that's it that's the shot because we can't do this again phil you know the, my prosthetics start like coming off like, oh no we gotta go we gotta go now and like sun's coming up and then we did it and yeah. <laughs> we did it and we did it like legit like one and done that was it everyone was like great and i was like man what if it sucks what right are we gonna do what are you gonna do i guess we could try it again tomorrow i don't know but yeah and it, but it worked it, it all worked oh wow. my god <laughs> it's like something straight out of like dead alive or something it was yeah. crazy yeah. man yeah. it was so good i was so happy to see that honestly <laughs> i'm so happy you guys are making movies <laughs> seriously <laughs> talk about making kind of effective scares very simply the use of marbles as something scary i don't think i've ever seen that done before <laughs> how did you come up with with that as an effective well, so the marbles were an element from a different screenplay that the company had sort of looked at. And while the story of the screenplay didn't quite work, there was that one scene in it where the marble goes under uh, the main character's skin. It was like, well, we love that. We spent a lot of money on the script, so let's find a way to get something of value out of it. So then it became trying to figure out, okay, how do you incorporate the marbles into a, a, a different story? It's the change lane. It's like any classic haunted house movie where you're just mm-hmm. using it as a, as a way to have the ghost play with the people inside the house. When you're in an actual location, we think like in our mind, we were like, yeah, we're going to have this marble go all over this house and da, da, da. But then you're in the actual location and like the hallway is only 10 feet or 12 right. feet long. <laughs> There's only so far the marble can go. So you're trying to figure out how can you uh, actually ex- uh, extend the amount of time that this thing is rolling around. And we were fortunate because the production design team had discovered these little remote controlled balls that the company that did the, what is it, BB-88 or whatever the Star oh, Wars the droids was, and stuff, yeah. they made a mini one that came on the market right before we started filming. That allowed us to sort of, um, not always perfectly, but sort of control the arcs of the marbles a little bit. Which yeah, there's, there's that great shot. I think it's the first time you see it or second time where it comes down the stairs and then it rolls around the circle That's and a it keeps going. That's of four different marbles. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So real marble that drops, remote control <clears throat> marble that goes past the dog, real marble that bounces down the stairs, real marble that uh, heads towards Dawn, and the dog edible marble right. that heads towards Dawn and, and the dog gets it. Yeah, I got very good at sort of flicking marbles around. And, <laughs> like, a lot, like, and maybe everybody does this, but like for me, I would just have some marbles in my pocket and there's tons of times in that movie where he'll open a door and a marble will just sort of roll out, which was not in the script, but it was just like, okay, we got to find a way to sort of add this to every scene we can. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Just, it was like a hobby. How about the sound design of that fucking terrifying doorbell? Was that yeah, in the actual the doorbell? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. over and over and over. <laughs> so Chicago company Noise Floor, uh, Corey Corkin, who was the, the <laughs> head designer who had worked on Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer oh, wow. back in the day. So that was just like, yeah, this thing is, again, it's the house is a character. You've got to give it its voice and it's got to be totally disturbing and totally mess with Don. So I think Corey 
will be very pleased to hear that you like the end result because it's probably 10 different sounds sort of mashed together. We were tinkering with it to the very end. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing, man. Did you hear it on set or were they just like, doorbell's ringing? Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I, they were just like, pretend like you hear a doorbell. Yeah. The like, cool oh. thing is you reacted to it very well. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Acting. <laughs> As we were talking about at the heart of this story is the music of Steve Albini that cuts yes. through this thing like a razor blade. I mean, like, and not only such a part of the Chicago music scene, obviously legendary musical icon bands like Nirvana and the Pixies and stuff, but there's also this core Chicago music scene and bands that kind of folded music upon itself like some of my favorites Slint and Jesus Lizard and uh-huh. things like this that he was a part of he brings kind of this this beautiful tone to the film that captures Steve Albini's natural explorative tendency it matches the tone of the film perfectly why was he the choice and how did you convince him to do the movie he was the choice because every single approach was how do we hire somebody from Chicago you know, that was the first thing is, is like really wanting it to be a Chicago movie and, and be of the place, not just set there. I assume he did it because I had such a good script that he's like, I absolutely need to do this movie. But no, uh, I mean, I approach you're not, I mean, you, you probably are like, no, that's not right. But that's exactly why he probably said yes. All right. All right. But it was like, he talking probably was like you. Travis Stevens, Urowski's Dune. I'm in. <laughs> but I, I approached him in a similar way of Philip, just sort of saying, here's who I am. Here's what this is. And here's why I think you might be really great for this. And in writing the screenplay, Slint had been a huge influence on that idea of quiet and loud and going from scenes where things are very, very intimate and close and then expansive and that jarring nature that that music sort of evokes. I wanted the screenplay to have that and therefore I wanted the score to have that because of the budget we're in that house most of the time. So how do you create a jarring experience for the audience in a space that they're going to get really familiar with over the course of the runtime. So when I had written him, I had said, look, I don't think the score is going to be complete noise like Mertzbau, you know, (laughs) anything like that, but you know, probably pretty close. And then he started sending the demos and they're these like beautiful string based, like (laughs) epic songs. And I was like, all right, here we are. And now it's like amazing. And just even like as the marketing materials coming out, just even a little piece of the music, it has such personality and it has such um, like just real warmth and tone to it and is still disturbing. So it's finally sinking in now that Steve Albini's first score happens to be in our movie. So that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel pretty lucky. Can you put words around the energy that is the city of Chicago? From my outside perspective, I... This better be a good fucking energy. <laughs> He's lit up right now. He can hurt you with his pinky. (laughs) Like, as a kid, we had gone through it with my family and gone to the museums. And I just remember it being this incredibly cold place that was always halfway to where we were trying to get to. And then as an adult to go there and spend time in this place that is filled with such a variety of experiences and culture, the museums, the architecture, the the music, like my time there now as an adult, I was like, this is like the U.S.'s best kept secret. It's a fucking fantastic city for all of these things. And like yeah. my partner came into town and we did a three day weekend together and just every single activity was like, 
well, this is the best restaurant I've ever eaten in. And oh my God, that is the most beautiful building I've ever seen. And look at this department store. Why don't they have department stores like this where we're from? Right. In Los Angeles. Right. So, right. Like, and then in working with the crew, I mean, I already mentioned it once, but you know, we make, or I've made movies in a bunch of different places, but everybody's work ethic and sort of ego-less approach to doing the job was something I found really unique to, to Chicago where it was just, there was joy in what they were doing. And no matter how challenging it was, they were just like, yeah, here we are, we're doing it. So what's your experience about Chicago? I think the Chicago vibe is busy and beautiful. You got to keep moving. If you fall down, the person next to you will help you up. Uh, but you got to pull your own weight too. I was born and raised there. So obviously I'm a little bit biased, but I've lived in Philadelphia for two years. I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for two years. I've been all over the world two or three times. Everything is better in Chicago. I really feel that. And, uh, you know, my authority is I've been everywhere. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just one of those things, you know, it's, 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 it's no nonsense. It can be nitty gritty, but it, just like Travis said, it's best of everything. And it's home to me. So like I said, I am, I am biased. The uh, other thing I wanted to talk about too, and this is really interesting to me, is that the look and feel of the film, as far as the supplementals, the title cards, the way the title's written, like the lettering is something I haven't seen before. Where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it's just all having some intention. Sure. Uh, so we wanted something that both called back the Victorian era and also heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the production design team is Courtney and Hillary Anduar, who are twins. Brilliant. And just fantastic. The best taste. And so we've worked with a bunch of different title designers on different movies. But on this one, I was just sort of like, hey, you're really awesome. <laughs> I know you're, you've moved on to your next movie, but could I just get you back for one last job? Uh, could you just throw some font ideas together? And so, yeah, they came in. And in the marketing materials, you don't often uh, get a chance to sort of have everything carry over. And to be able to have the font that's in the movie on some of the marketing materials really means a lot because I do think it, it sort of evokes sort of what this movie is, which is a bit of past and the present and hopefully, you know, in service of the story. That teaser that was released is startling too, the one yeah. with the sink. Yeah. And it just has that voiceover by, is it Karen Wattich? Right. Who yeah. plays the neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's haunting. And she's kind of giving this dire warning and, you see the sink and <laughs> explodes yeah. and blood everywhere. And it just, it's got that font again. And that's it. That's the teaser. Yep. That's yeah. original and beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I had written a, another teaser that we were going to shoot and it wasn't very good. <laughs> we ran out of time. <laughs> and then while we were shooting that gag to get it, they shot it slow-mo so that we could be sure we got it. And seeing it slow-mo, I was just like, oh, that might work as a teaser instead. And so we just mocked it up and it was like, yeah. And it very shining which was nice to sort of reference you know, because obviously <laughs> right. that movie's uh dna is is in this story a lot so it was a nice sort of like here's our low budget elevator doors opening right look at right. us moving forward phil you've got this retelling of cronenberg's rabbit yeah. coming out yes with the Soska sisters yeah. the twisted twins themselves yeah, yeah. thanks for that's uh, incredible thanks for yeah. bringing that up that's, that's awesome. wild too right i'm 
fortunate to have been surrounded with just amazing people on both my first film experiences. You know, I think everybody who worked on Girl was the best at what they did. Just everybody doesn't know it yet. And I'm talking from DP Scott Thiel to Travis to, you mentioned Karen, who I was intimidated by, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, here I am. I, I, I have a pretty a heavy scene with her where I, 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 you know, I have to act, right? And being the, the first pro wrestler stepping into the acting arena, I feel like I had a, a bit of, come on, that was a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, um, you know, like when I had to do scenes with her or, or scenes with Trieste, who are, they're bona fide, they've done stuff. It was harder than having to do stuff with like Sarah or Travis, because this was their first go around just like me. But everybody on that film is amazing and same with Saska Twins and Rabid. So I'm really spoiled. So whatever comes next, I just hope there's no assholes on set. Because <laughs> I got a really good track record right now. But um, yeah, so they remade Rabid and it is a remake of a Cronenberg movie, just how Cronenberg's Fly is a remake of The Fly. Right. So it's a remake, but they have reimaged it and made it all their own, and they kick ass. So I was fortunate to... I have a small role. I have, a, you know, a, a tiny little role. And again, I just kind of showed up and I let them do their job and tell me what to do, you know, and I got to, I got to have fun. I, I got to do my own stunts, jump through a window, beat some people up. I, you know, I had had another scene I had to tell my wife about. You know, I don't know if you should watch this, you know, it's kind of, kind of uncomfortable, but like, you know, I just, uh, super grateful and super fortunate to be involved in both those projects surrounded by super talented people who make me better than I am. You also pick some fucking cool projects, man. Yeah. You, you pick the right yes. people to work with. Yeah. You know, like I'm I said, you. I say no to a lot of stuff and like these are these are projects you can't say no to. You know, it's quality. You're two for two in horror now. Yeah. Do you think you want to stick with the horror genre for a while? I'm very open-minded to doing a lot of things and uh, the way I've always operated in my life, I gravitate towards things that scare the living shit out of me because I feel like that's where you grow when you're right. uncomfortable. And I'm all about just growing, learning new things. So, I mean, you, you tell me what it is as long as there's good people attached to it and it's quality content. I'm all about it. It doesn't matter if it's a, a rom-com, a buddy cop, sci-fi, like whatever it is, I think anything can be challenging if it's good. Right. And if it's right for me, then I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> Travis, how about you? Do you, do you want to stick with the horror genre for a while, or uh, do you yeah, have I, in I the like, back pocket? I like making movies in in all genres, but I think horror is probably my yeah. It's your <laughs> favorite. It's a terrible answer. I make but a lot I, of horror I feel, movies. I feel, I feel, and I obviously you've been in the genre a lot longer than I have, but I, I just feel like everybody involved in the genre, from behind the camera to the fans, just the culture. Everybody's so awesome. And everybody's so caring and so giving, which is kind of ironic based on the subject matter. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, murder and death and <laughs> ghosts and hauntings and like all this stuff. But the community, the horror community yep. as a whole, everybody's like a big fanboy, and they just love and appreciate the art. It's fun to be a part of it. You know? Yeah, it's you know it's the only genre that has uh, conventions, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. around the world, that says something. Yep. That says a lot. Speaking of conventions, comic books, right? Yeah, and the Saska sisters, you guys 
guys have a lot in common based on that as well? Because, I mean, they, they got that new Black Widow book mm-hmm. that they have out now, and they've got that graphic novel. It was a Kill Nympho. I forget the name of that title, <laughs> but yeah, they've been working on it for a while. I can't wait to see it. Did you guys have a commonality with that stuff? I just think that goes hand in hand with the horror community. I think yeah. comic book. You know, I, at some point, obviously, being a nerd and all the things that we all got made fun of for when we were kids became pop culture you know and we've kind of inherited the earth now and i always said when i was a kid i was like when i'm grown up there's going to be cars named after transformers and i don't know if that's happened yet but in a way it has you know we've kind of taken over things and like these are the things we like so these are the things that we all pursue i think them writing comic books is just natural i think me writing comic books you know that happened uh i went out to uh, a bar just to hang out with Axel Alonso. He used to be uh, head over at Marvel. And he just, I don't know how many drinks he had, but he just looked at me and he went, you ever think about writing comic books? (laughs) 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 And and that's how I operate. And I just went, yep. (laughs) You know, what would you write? And I was like, Punisher. Okay, oh, what's yes. the story? And, you know, we just have a conversation in a bar that I figure he's maybe a little bit tipsy and he's not going to remember it. And then, you know, I'll be damned. The next week he's like, hey, you want to write the foreword for the uh, collection of Avengers versus X-Men? And I was like, yeah, sure. Wow. Yeah. And I write a foreword, you know what I mean? And it's just like, they come back to me and they go, this is really good. And I'm like, it's a foreword. Like, what do you, you know, they're like, no, but it's like, you get it. It's, there's beats and it's funny and it's, you hit all the points. They're like, you want to write a, a Thor annual? And I was like, yeah, of course. You know, and, I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But again, just like having Travis hold my hand through all this, just like being surrounded by the Saskas, these talented people who are kind and giving and our teachers in a lot of the ways, the same thing with comic books, you know, uh, Colin Bunn was my co-writer on Drax. Jason Aaron helped me out with the Thor book. I mean, just again, these people who are giants in their industries, just helping out little old Phil, you know, because just because I used to fall on my back for a living. Somebody <laughs> was like, you want to write a comic book? And I'm like, yeah, all right. You know, I, I'm just fortunate, but I also think wise enough to know to listen because if I don't know what I'm doing, I'll learn something and they will tell me how to do it. And then I can put my own spin on it. And that's the way I operate. Nice. So you're still working on books right now? I I got nothing in the pipeline right now. I kind of just sit back and wait. I constantly talk with Image about creator-owned stuff. I'm a bit of a chicken pulling the trigger on that. But anytime Marvel comes knocking i always answer the call that's how that shang chi one shot happened because they were like you want to do the shang chi thing and i was like well you know me i'm gonna make it real weird and they <laughs> let me do a lot of weird stuff like having a kung fu octopus and you know, <laughs> <laughs> they just you know i there's I, I do a lot of things expecting them to say no and then they just let it happen and i was like cool well, thank you for being weird. <laughs> we love weird. I can't help it. I can't help it. I know we've kept you guys so long. I, just I don't had... care. This is fun. Uh, <laughs> keep it going. Keep yes. it going. I just had a question for you. I know that you were a guest investigator on Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters. Oh, yeah. And oh. I want to talk about your experience doing that because that's kind of fun. Oh, I feel so bad. I don't like retelling this story. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 it's totally, it's totally fine. I, so I was excited, right? Shooting at the Stanley Hotel on Halloween. Oh, it yes. sounds awesome. Yeah. Yes. Right. But I was 
so sh- I was shot physically and mentally. I was so exhausted. Like, I, I don't know if we just came back from an international tour, but like I get my travel getting there was long. I was tired. And I remember thinking, OK, we don't start shooting until like midnight oh, and it's six hours of live television. And I'm just oh. like, what? You know, so I'm looking at it from that perspective. So when I got there, you'll like this part. I got there. I'm like, I got to take a nap. I absolutely have to sleep or I'm going to be worthless for this shoot and everybody's going to be super disappointed. So I remember getting into my room and being like, okay, I have maybe, I don't know, an hour, maybe an hour and a half before I'm supposed to be somewhere. So I lay down and I'm sleeping and these damn kids are running up and down the hall, bouncing a ball. And I'm just like, oh God. And I'm like, maybe it'll go away. And this is before I'm like, savvy to earplugs and you know i got the pillow over my head and these damn kids keep running up and down the hallway bouncing a ball and finally i had enough and i bust the door open and i just want to be like and nobody out there of course Ooh, not no. and i'm like hmm, okay whatever good they're done close the door go back into the bed lay down kids running up and down the hallway bouncing a ball I mean, I distinctly remember, and I was just like, all right, open the door again, no kids. So it's just like, whatever. I can't remember if I actually got any sleep or if I just laid there. But when I had to meet down in the lobby, I remember asking the person, hey, who are the kids? Like, somebody was running around upstairs and blah, blah, blah. And the, the lady behind the desk was like, there are no children checked into the hotel. And I was like, cool. Okay. <laughs> wow. wow. But then I was a little let down because I, I didn't see or experience anything during the show. Sure, so of I, course I, yeah. this is why I don't like recanting the story because yeah. I felt like I was a real wet blanket. Like, because after about two hours, I was just like, oh God. And I turned into that guy because I'd be like, we got a cold spot. And I'd be like, it's the air conditioning vent. <laughs> so like, I think, I think those guys probably hate my guts. You know what I mean? Uh, but I, I, I had that experience with the, the sound of kids running up and down the hallway bouncing a ball. That's at, amazing. At, at the Stanley Hotel on <laughs> That's Halloween. fucking cool, That's though. Pretty yeah. cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. I would read something, I don't know if it's true, but there's a character called Skeleton Bob that I had heard that you had mentioned once about a house that you had had and a character called Skeleton Bob. Maybe it's wrong, maybe it's out of context, but I read that somewhere. My house? Your house. Skeleton Bob. A haunted house. It doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, it's, on the, it's, just got it's on the internet. I just got you know. <laughs> I just got a little scared. Like, oh my God. Yeah. And now I created it. Yeah. <laughs> um, since Halloween is around the corner, what do you guys like to do on Halloween? On Halloween, on the day? Yes, the actual day. I guess it depends on what the day is. I have to dress up. I've dressed up every single year of yes, my life. I love that. Do you have your costume ready for this year? No, because my wife's being uh, a, a bit, uh, she, she's being a bit stubborn. Okay. <laughs> and... <laughs> It took a minute to kind of get her to come out of her shell a little bit regarding that because a lot of the time she'll be like, that's cheesy and we don't do that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden when she realized last year that we could be Mulder and Scully from the X-Files all about it. That's yeah. amazing. Yes. I'm not an X-Files guy. So I was like, I'm doing this for you, sweetheart. Yeah, so, yeah. so now this year in my mind, I'm like, oh, I get to pick and everything I throw out. She's just like, we're not doing that. You know? <laughs> well, so what are, yeah, you got to tell us what are, what are your options. I want to hear what you're throwing out. Well, after a while, it gets ridiculous. Like after a while, because I know she's just going to say no. I'm just like, we're going to be Jules and Vincent from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> she's like, no, no, we're not. No, we're not doing that. Okay. So uh, I don't, I don't know what we're going to be yet. 
but um, I know for her, she said something funny to me one time. She's just like, I'm not dressing up as something just because you want to. It's like, you know, fulfilling your fantasy. And I was like, hello, X-Files. Like, I don't know. Yeah. X-Files. Like, I did that for you, but we still got time to talk. So we'll figure yeah. it out. We'll figure it out. And that to me, that's a lot of the, that's the fun of it is the spontaneity. And my dog last year was Freddy Krueger. So... <laughs> Oh, I'll, I'll show you a picture. <laughs> what kind of dog? Beautiful. He's a mutt. I'll, I'll have to show you guys the picture. And, and unfortunately, everybody listening to this can't see the picture, but I'm a Universal Monsters guy. I have oil paintings of all the Universal Monsters. So we rescued this dog based solely on me seeing a picture of him one time. And I was like, oh, because he looks exactly like the Wolfman. <laughs> wow. So we named him Larry Talbot. Yes. As you That's do. amazing. And I'll show you guys the picture. But yeah, Larry is spitting image of Lon Chaney's Wolfman. That's awesome. Is that your favorite Universal Monster movie? Uh, I Creature, Black Lagoon is definitely my favorite. But yeah, I'd say Wolfman's a close second. Why That's Creature? Uh, something about it resonated with me when I was a kid. And as a kid, when you go backwards and you go from like American Werewolf in London and Friday the 13th and like all these movies and you go backwards i think frankenstein and dracula especially are kind of boring there was something not boring to me about the creature of the black lagoon and it may be because of the underwater scenes and it's aesthetically it's a lot different but like i remember watching dracula when i was a kid and just being like <laughs> okay I get, I get it i get it you know but yeah it didn't it didn't exactly captivate me the way uh creature did what are you doing on halloween travis it's changed for me my connection with it because now i have a daughter oh going trick-or-treating with nice. her and watching her sort of experience with that holidays like really because i'm so used to being an old guy in costume with a bunch of other horror nerds <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to now be like with this kid who like every house in the decorations is like this like disney world and i'm like this is amazing and and also because i grew up in vermont where trick-or-treating in vermont means you knock on a door you get some candy you get in your car you drive a mile <laughs> down the road what? to the next house no <laughs> so way out in the wow. valley of los angeles where it's like a whole yeah. street and and it's like in a movie where there's families walking back and forth it's like a a completely different experience so it's uh much more joyful and less standing around being like uh, right who are you supposed to be uh. and in los angeles you get to take them trick-or-treating at like rick baker's house and stuff <laughs> that's, that's, that's wild. Right. <laughs> was it over in that that one area burbank right where all the filmmakers and effects yeah. guys oh, yeah. put out all the crazy stuff and yep. it's like where am i it's yeah. amazing yeah. <laughs> oh man maybe i need to be here for holiday yeah, <laughs> maybe it's pretty crazy Remember, Leo, wasn't it like Freddy and Jason were fighting on a roof? Yeah, it was nuts. It was crazy. I was like, like what the fuck's going on? I was man? hiding, but like it was full-on crazy. stunt guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because wow. so many studio people live in like Burbank and Toluca Lake that they go all out. Like put on shows and, and stuff, stuff on Halloween and it just becomes like... The whole city just kind of goes this one street yeah. and walks around and sees all this crazy wow. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. great. What about like mazes and stuff? You guys like that? Like the haunted attractions and the new Universal Studios? Last can... last year we did uh, a haunted hotel downtown, oh. downtown Chicago. Oh, and cool. It was, man, it was great because everybody's dressed up. I think me and her were the only people not drinking. 
And she just kept walking through with her FBI badge shining the flashlight in people's face. And I was just watching her, just laughing. I was just like, oh my gosh. She's like, FBI, FBI. So she would, this haunted, this haunted hotel, every, there was one floor where every room on the floor was a different, you know, scene. So you like walk in the one and it's the butcher and there's, body parts hanging everywhere and you walk in the other one and like Babadook would come on scary stuff. Oh, well, Babadook and it, has a good one. And it was one. just, I just, God, I love her to death. You know, like somebody would jump out at her and she'd shine the flashlight she'd be like, FBI! You know what I mean? Because like, part of it too is people would see it and they'd be like, CM Punk? And I'd be like, I'm Mulder. Stop it. Stop it. You know? So we did that and it was and it was awesome. I don't, I don't have specific plans yet. I had one more question. Yeah. Movie related. I'm sorry. You got one too? Go ahead. Okay, okay. Mine is, I don't want to also take any attention away from the amazing work of uh, Sarah Brooks. Yes. Who was incredible. Where did yeah. you find her? Because this is like one of her first features. Yeah. Yeah. She had sent in an audition for a role that had one line in the movie. And from that one line audition, I was like, oh, this person's special. Yeah. And see, everybody in this movie like, like is exactly where they need to be. I was floored. I will put everybody's talent like so far ahead of mine if I have any at all. But like when I say everybody who worked in this film is the best that nobody knows it yet, everybody will know it. Like even Travis Delgado, who plays Milo, just his, he's so subtly funny it really felt like nobody was really acting and sarah killed it trieste yeah. obviously i mean everybody in this film like i was just surrounded by talent and she is an uber talent her first movie couldn't tell no you not know, at all yeah, yeah not i mean not at all she's she was amazing absolutely yeah. amazing and she told me how the right way to because the, the I, I think the only time i felt like super awkward and i was really like am i doing this right is when i had to smoke a joint and drink a beer she had no yeah. <laughs> no clue i was lit i was like i feel like a fucking narc I i've never smoked a drink in my life so i'm like am i doing it right and i you know and she's like no hold it like this and you know and like she's brilliant She's but a, sorry, I didn't mean no, to cut no, you off. No, no. It, it, she's also an artist. And I think now with social media, beyond just the auditions, you can sort of get a sense of somebody's personality from their Vimeo or YouTube or, or you know Twitter. I think a lot of these people that we were lucky enough to work with, outside of a movie or a play or whatever, they're just making stuff. They have that mentality of just being creative. And I think that gives you a lot of skills. Leo, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, Phil... Uh, since you mentioned Jaworski, did you ever go back and visit, revisit uh, El Topo or Holy Mountain? No. Okay. <laughs> Leo's giving you homework assignments. Okay. This is how it's going to go down, man. Okay. Unfortunately, you're going to have to wait till you, you know, catch the flu and that, you, hit that, you hit that like mild fever. Where you're like, okay, I'm starting to hallucinate a little bit, you know? What the fuck are put you the, saying? Put the movie on, you put El Topo on, watch it with just a little fever for flu going on. It'll change your life, man. Should I just, like, should I just, just get it over with and do ayahuasca? Or like, we just... Right. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's, it's one of the best things I've seen in my life. El Topo, then Holy Mountain right there. Okay. Oh my God. This picture is unbelievable, by the way, dude. Is that what you're saying? Looked like the Wolfman? It's insane. It's unbelievable. It, it's uncanny. And his attitude is exactly what you think it is oh based on what he looks like. He is so cute. 
Oh, reminds me of Winky. Yeah, yeah. It does my yeah, our Chihuahua. Well, aka a real what name, the Leatherface. Hell? That's this Dude, my I'm, that's I'm to everybody listening, I'm showing everybody my the picture of my dog Larry next to my oil painting of the wolf. That's incredible. Also yeah. a beautiful painting of the wolf man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a local artist. DW Friedendel. Oh so my I, god. I bought yeah. that I bought that at uh, Hyena. No way. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, I walked into Hyena one day and I was I literally I walked in and I went, Oh, I'm spending a lot of money in here. <laughs> yeah. I, that I, place I, is a trip. Bought them yeah. bought them all there. And I, I keep meaning to just straight up commission him to do some other ones for me, but I keep forgetting. Now I just remembered. Do you have like a monster room or do you get to put your stuff all over the house? Well, th- it, everything's all over the house. That's great. Everything's, That's good. Everything's everywhere. There's, <sighs> there's a little bit of something in every single different room. She's yeah. a keeper. Oh, yeah, because most life. of the time, most Absolutely. of the time we hear couples and one's into horror and one's not so much. It's like, you get one room, that's it. Sorry. You get a corner of an office. Yeah. No, she's got stuff everywhere, too. You know, I mean, she has her office and it's just like completely done up, but like there's stuff everywhere. Is she into monster stuff or what's what's her passion? She is, this is the funny thing about me and my wife. She's like 10 years younger than me, right? So she's into anime and, you know, like a, a couple things that I'm not into. Like I'm, I'm a hockey guy. She doesn't care. You know, I, she watched the Blackhawks hoist the cup on home ice and I looked at her and she was playing Pokemon on her phone. <laughs> and that's exactly why I love her. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, there's a Venn diagram. She's got her stuff. I got my stuff, but there's a bunch of stuff in the middle too. So yeah, you can go to Comic-Con together and have yeah. booths that you go to. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you guys so much yeah. for joining thank us. This is guys. a fucking blast. Yes. And I, seriously, we can't wait till more people get a chance yeah, to get man. their eyes on yeah. this film. October 25th out everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Woo-hoo. Yes. Go see it. Yep. Girl on the third floor. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for that yes. opportunity. Yeah. That's so fucking cool. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 76. Special thanks to our guests, Travis Stevens and CM Punk. Follow them at CM Punk and at Travis Stevens on Instagram and Twitter. If you're listening to this at time of release, check out Girl on the Third Floor in theaters and digital Friday, October 25th. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. Listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.